0: My two veroness on You must remember those words. Gordon said. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. This is our second episode. So two episodes in the first episode. We went back to 1950s and we did Forbidden Planet. And we're jumping forward now to the 1970s, early 1970s. And we're actually moving away from American cinema. And we're going to be jumping in to Russian cinema. So this is one of Julian's uh, choices. And <laughs> Julian, you're dropping us in it at the deep end with episode two. We're talking about 1972's Solaris. Now, that name may ring a bell because there was a George Clooney remake in 2002. But uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about the original Russian version. So let me just give you a, a quick synopsis. So, some decades ago, a planet was found that was covered in a huge, viscous ocean. It was found that the ocean responded to people's presence. A space station was set up with around 80 scientists to study the ocean and the planet. Years passed and only three scientists remain, but communication between the space station has been reduced to zero. In response, psychologist Chris Kelvin is being sent to investigate and report on what is going on. What he finds will change him forever. Now,
1: Julian, do you think that's a fair assessment of the plot? Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment of the the setup. Um, You know, I I think that some things depend on what translation uh, you're working with. Um, Yeah, and and part of the setup is that uh, Chris Calvin um, is trying to investigate this, and and there's also been this weird uh, encounter on Solaris um, with uh, Burton, the pilot who goes searching for a missing pilot and sort of has this hallucination um so and and that was decades ago right so Mm. there is this kind of mystery and the idea is that um you know okay so we found an alien planet there seems to be something there but it's been decades and solaris sticks you know as they call the sort of study of this planet um basically hasn't advanced hasn't produced anything um, so there is this kind of mystery.
0: Yeah, so it's a really interesting. I mean, it's the film itself is um, it, it, it sort of drops sort of certain information on the way, doesn't it? So it, it does open with the. It, I struggle. I should say, okay, let's let's clear a few things at the beginning. <laughs> so this is obviously the nineteen seventy. This is a Russian film. So I had the uh, an early English dub. I think I had the original dub. I got it from Amazon Prime. And so it's subtitled. So, and there are bits of information that you don't realise are key to the plot until later that you sort of, I had to make sure I'd read everything. So I had to go back. And so I watched this in a couple of sittings just to make sure I got everything I could. Cause it's, it's, it's it, I think as you sort of alluded to before, it's a, it's a film about mood and an experience. But again, there's sort of like, there's some quite dense information that's going to come at you um, throughout the film, isn't there?
1: Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I I do think. Well, when I suggested this film and and going into this, I did warn you. Um, it is long. I mean, it, it it's mm. a Russian film from nineteen seventy two. It is astoundingly influential. I'm sure we'll get into that, but um, yeah, it it does feel long. It's slow. It's directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, based on a, a novel by Stanislaw Lem. Stanislaw Lem is. Renowned as a science fiction writer, in in some circles he is as much of a name as Philip K. Dick, and uh, he was incredibly popular in Russia. He was a Polish author. Uh, Andrei Tarkovsky is a renowned uh, Russian director. He also directed Stalker, which he likes better, and is also based also sci-fi based on a Lem book. Um, I like this better personally, but. Um, you know, it is a Russian cinema, right? I mean, it is, it is slow. And Andrei Tarkovsky is very known for these kind of slow, moody shots that are about sort of the composition of the scene uh, that let you kind of process what you're seeing. Um, but again, you know, like, look, 2001 has a lot of long shots mm-hmm. where your mind sort of is allowed to contemplate the vastness of this expanse or uh, the ship sort of isolated against the black of space and ostensibly nothing's happening, but your mind is sort of invited to think, boy, they are really surrounded by a void that is waiting to kill them, you know? Um, yeah. and, I, and I think in the same way, this tries to create that. Oh,
0: no, I agree. I, I actually think there are some scenes throughout that are actually incredibly successful at doing that i think that you know there's, um, and, and i actually i was when i finished watching it there were scenes early in the film that seemed to resonate more um which i found was like the, the, so the film opens with chris um he's on is he's, he's his. i think is it his uncle's cabin
1: sort of house um yeah i and, I, I think so i don't re- really remember
0: yeah, and he's meeting with Burton, who's this pilot who, um, some t- some decades before, had obviously worked on the space station and flown over uh, the surface of the planet and seen all these things. Sort of, he describes seeing a garden with, with trees and plants sort of form out of the ocean, and then a four meter tall representation of a child, um, which is is bizarre and sort of you know he's explaining this to almost like a government body. Mm-hmm. Um, And you're seeing this as a video. It's sort of shown as a sort of a a black and white video. He's been explained it. Um, But you obviously go around this house. But before that, like, you know, when you first meet Chris Kelvin as a character, he's a very, I couldn't help thinking of him as dour. Mm -hmm. You know, he's very sort of quiet. He's very sort of, and then when it rains quite heavily on him, he just sort of sits in it and and sort of like quite literally soaks it in. Um, And so it it is very evocative of a mood, um, and I think it's just it sort of sets the tone in that sort of thing, you know. They're, they're saying, you know, Burton is is ridiculed, and you know, I am I'm just, like, just trying to set you up. I am letting you know you are going to see some, you may see something weird, but this is what happened to me, and I don't know. It's just it's an interesting opening to a film.
1: But... Yeah, I, I think that um, I mean, the, let me see. the The first shot uh, is foliage, you know, away mm-hmm. from uh, Calvin, and the camera sort of slowly pans over to Calvin's feet. Um, and there are lots of shots early on of sort of like reeds in the water. There's lots of water shots. There are, there's lots of nature and wet nature. Um, and I think that, that that early business, I mean, I think it's about 30 to 40 minutes. The, the first 30 or 40 minutes takes place on Earth prior to Calvin going to the Solaris station. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that is the slowest portion. I think that Mm -hmm. basically once he's on uh, the Solaris station, I completely love the movie. Um, I think that that early bit, there's stuff that I like, and I actually found it was not as slow as I remembered. Um, there's a very famous, uh, scene where Burton is driving away and, the The camera follows him in his car, and there's, you know, it's maybe like four minutes or something. of footage of him no, driving through this kind of concrete. Uh, it's landscape.
0: seven and a half. It's seven and a half minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I remembered it as I, I warned you. Like there's like a fifteen yeah. minute uh, driving scene, yeah. and uh, you know that was filmed in in Tokyo, and mm. um, you know, and I think that it really gets across the sort of, you know, obviously Burton is uh, upset. He uh, is remembering what happened. Um, And, but what's interesting there is that obviously seven minutes is indulgent, right? But it's Mm. this kind of concrete landscape. And everything in that, like, that stuff on Earth is very nature driven. And you were talking like Burton is very uh, dour. He's very unemotional. Um, And All of this is going to contrast with Solaris, where, you know, on Solaris, everything is artificial. You're in a space station. Um, So there's this big kind of dichotomy in the film between the nature of Earth and the artificiality, the um, kind of cloistered um, artificiality of the space station. And so... That was really important for Tarkovsky. The novel, by the way, has nothing on Earth. It just begins with him going to the station. And Tarkovsky's early script, his first script, was like you know two-thirds on Earth. Um, And Tarkovsky was really interested in the Earth stuff and the human stuff, and he wanted to Mm. ground a sci-fi story in the human. um, And he complained that sci-fi movies are too obsessed with technology, and he wanted to do a sci-fi movie that uh had something to say and that explored characters who actually feel stuff and want to communicate what they're what they're going through which is
0: interesting because i think i think he's not wrong i mean i, I get that notion of because the opening scenes on earth um the way they play out is very sort of open air that the, all the windows are open uh you know, very few scenes are <clears throat> feel claustrophobic. It feels like a very open area. You know, they have a lot of conversations outside, um, and when they're inside, like you know, like I say there are windows open. There's a lot of water and nature, like big plants. Like you know, they'll see things in the, like big-leaved plants in the corners or this other stuff. So it's it, it it does stand in like absolute contrast to what feels a bit like a you know a, a hamster run of a space station they get to oh. later on. Like you know, all the obviously all the the whole thing's a donut, so it's shit, like you know all the rings all the sort of and everything's made of plastic or metal so that's that's a really good point that i can see that contrast um to talk about burton's d- d- drive though so uh, you know i get around the greenery and the foliage and that sort of idea of expanse and, and earth and i also understand like you say when you actually see burton in that drive scene you know and you see that he's very uh, tense very pent up he's you know he's clearly contemplating he's had to sort of share this thing that's been like a burden for him for years that i understand but the minutes in that scene of just cars driving around <laughs> it goes on like you see it definitely feels indulgent i actually i was looking through and someone almost said like it almost feels like they've um they've gone over to tokyo and osaka and they've done this video this footage yeah. There's obviously been an expense to it. And they've gone, well, we've sort of got to justify us Go in there. So we better put it all in. <laughs> yeah, that's the only
1: I, I, reason... I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I think to me, um, all the stuff on earth, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how long it is. I mean, it's somewhere between 30 minutes and 45 minutes. Mm. Um, I think all that stuff could be cut by about half. Um, I, I agree with you about the driving scene. You know, I think it's a famous scene. Um, I like it in ways, but, you know, I, I kind of have the same feeling that you do. Um, and I think Tarkovsky is so in love with this nature, you know, he's so in love with these lingering shots on, um, on you know, foliage that, you know, personally, if there's any part of the movie that, that I would cut, it, it's the stuff on earth. And I mean, Tarkovsky would shoot me for saying that, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, there's enough setup there, right? I mean, I like Burton. Burton's also upset because one of the things he reveals to Calvin is that that baby that he saw, that weird hallucination, um, when he came back, he visited the um, uh, widow of the pilot that he was searching for, and the pilot had a child who looked just like that, uh, that child that he saw mm. on Solaris that was so... The implication is that that ocean or whatever is is on Solaris somehow was able to um, probe or see into the pilot's mind and didn't understand what it's seeing. Doesn't un- doesn't fully understand scale. Doesn't fully understand the human experience, but somehow reproduce this. Um, that's kind of the implication. But Burton is kind of haunted by this. So I don't know. I mean, I, I agree if there's stuff to cut, you know, I, I would like to see, you know, a good 15 minutes cut out of the first the or stuff.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's, there's whole sections. There's, there's a section where Burton's, he has his son there and they keep talking about his son and there's a young girl there as well. And then they go see a horse and um, you know, yeah. Chris Cohen's aunt's there and i was like okay so this is going to be like you know either have a short-term payoff like it's going to you know mean something or it's going to pay off at the other other end of the film so no it means nothing like it's literally just there to show it feels like they've they've chosen this location and they've gone oh we've got stables out the back do you want to see the horse oh yeah we can put a horse horse in the film (laughs) yeah you know it's that thing of like um
1: yeah, I mean, I, I hear concise, concise
0: storytelling versus you know get your mood across. I get, and some of the lingering shots are very good, but there's some bits that just feel uh, indulgent and you know just padding, really. Yeah, I mean,
1: I I, I think there's a difference between indulgent and padding. I mean, mm. uh, it's stuff that I would cut, but I don't think Tarkovsky is intentionally making it longer. Um, he did have a remit to, uh, you know, when the Russian state approved a movie, they would apparently approve a runtime along with it. So they approved this runtime. Um, So, you know, you did not have the freedom to, you know, deviate from that. Uh, And in fact, he had to get past Russian censors um, Mm. and and struggled with them. Um, So I I don't know. I mean, I I think they're definitely, I definitely do think uh, at times, wow, there are a lot of horses. You know? yeah. um, but, but I do think, um, so the horse, like the horse is a non-human intelligence, right? That we're used to, that's an earth other. The ocean on Solaris is an alien other. Um, and the horse, we have sort of conquered, sort of mastered, sort of tamed. Uh, we live in a kind of unity with it um there's this whole thing throughout the movie about reason and the limits of reason the limits of human civilization and you know with the horse it seems part of this bucolic scene it's all it's all nice but the, the point seems to be to me that here's this this other non-human intelligence that we can understand and we have the confidence of those encounters to think that we can understand anything, right? I mean, through reason and and science and civilization, we have, you know, basically tamed the horse and, you know, live in this uh, comfortable way. Uh, and none of that is possible on Solaris. Solaris defies civilization. It defies um, every, not just the natural order of that landscape in the beginning, but also... Uh, human notions about what life is, about what we're capable of as a species. So, I mean, I guess that would be... I'm going all highfalutin, but I mean, there is enough of that that I want the nature stuff in there. I want the horse in there. I agree you could trim it.
0: Yeah, okay. No, I can see what you mean, because again, I understand you know, like you said, that I think the... um you know, like I said when I when I when I finished the film that op- I went back and had a look at that opening shot, and the foliage is it's actually sort of under a river, so there's mm-hmm. obviously like flowing water, and then there's sort of the foliage underneath it. And as you say so it pans up, and obviously by the by the end of the film, you've learned that like water is so, or at least liquid, I suppose, is so you know uh, intrinsic to this film, it's such a part of it. So that sort of film of sort of like water and life in that opening shot, it tells you everything. It's you know, so it's sort of there. It's sort of what he's trying to get to. Um, so I understand the need for that nature, uh, and especially as well for the for the for the ending. It's sort of you know you need to have seen this cabin and and understood sort of uh, Chris Kelvin's sort of connection with it. Uh, but you're right, yeah, I, I I agree that this 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 could be trimmed somewhat um, to be a little more concise.
1: But uh, so, but yeah, but the, so let's get to Solaris. Let's get to yes. Yeah, so let's it, jump forward because... to. to I mean, (laughs) so, so we're about, you know, 45 minutes in or something. And he, uh, he being Calvin gets to the Solaris station. Um, and here, you know, we begin about an hour, an hour and a half of what to me is just absolutely gripping, absolutely brilliant. I I can't say how much I love everything from the arrival on the station on. Um, Now, you know, there are three people on the station instead of 80, right? Obviously, the station's fallen on hard times. Um, And I love that no one greets him. You know, it's, like, so surreal. Like, I'm on the station. No one greets him. And he's just wandering around the station. It's dilapidated. um, And he very quickly finds out. I mean, he he passes a computer terminal that's sparking. And he just disconnects. It's like nobody cares (laughs) that the equipment is sparking.
0: I'm just Go going to focus on that, but yeah, because this was the thing that sort of struck me. That sort of, and
1: I agree actually. This is where the
0: film picks up, and I actually did. There was some, there was a lot I enjoy in this sort of uh, not the second half because it's, the film actually has two parts. Right. From the moment he gets onto Solaris, it does get a lot more interesting. But there's that moment like I say he's walking past a sparking, um, like yeah, like computer unit or something, and he just pulls the wires out, and I'm thinking, you're in deep space. Stop messing with stuff. You don't. You're not. An astro- <laughs> you know. You're not an astrophysicist. You don't know what it does. Leave it alone. Like, I, yeah. If I stepped on top, I, I don't get in cars. You know, if they look a little bit shaky or iffy, I'm not going to get a stay around on a space station if it looks and na- that it's a mess. I'm, I, I would definitely be a bit like, mm, I'm not sure that this is the right. You know, is it? Should this really be still doing the job? But
1: it's a yeah, good I, outfit.
0: I, it holds a good. Uh, uh, it's a good intro to the to the location.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm, I'm not bothered by that that computer bit. I mean, I, you know, I think the idea, you know, he sort of like looks at it like, you know, what the hell is this? And just mm. sort of, you know, pulls a wire to disconnect it. Um, you know, it's not really clear what that computer does. Um, and, and, and Kelvin seems to be at this point, the, the sort of rational man of action. Um, you know, who's just like, oh, you know, this is sparking like, these incompetents haven't de- dealt with this, I'll, I'll, you know, pull it out. Um, but, I mean, it really does set the mood of, um, you know, of this dilapidated space station, which is exactly the opposite of 2001. Is exactly mm-hmm. the opposite of Forbidden Planet. It's the opposite of everything we've ever gotten in, you know, mainstream sci-fi by 72 that... You know, which which is all super clean, super optimistic about the future. Um, And I I wanted to say that, you know, uh, Star Wars, which we're going to be talking about next episode, gets a lot of credit for sort of inventing the or codifying the idea, the used future idea. Right. The idea that these spaceships are going to look lived in. Right. Mm -hmm. It's going to look like that TIE fighter has flown around. Yeah. uh, You know, Lucas didn't invent that. Solaris does that you know to the max um and i think that you know when we talk about alien you know like alien has gets a lot of credit for that use future thing i think solaris does a better job than either of those movies i love this dilapidated space station which is again as you say like there's a donut and it's brilliant design you think about how these you know russians built this uh and got it on film, and it sort of rivals 2001.
0: Uh, yeah, I think the design in this is, I, I really do like, um, like, I say, from the moment he arrives, and they've got that sort of like, I don't know, it's almost like a docking station, like a pod bay, you know, he, he's in there and he, he walks through it all. And it does, it does feel like um, this is something that whoever kicked it off, or, you know, you, you're sort of assuming, I'd assume it's like the Russian government or whatever um, they've got is has almost forgotten about this it's almost become a burden to them it's almost like, oh, like you know go just figure out what the hell's going on so we can shut this thing down it's well past its prime and i love the fact that um the three scientists that remain on there like you said they aren't there to keep it clean it is just like you know they're there they're, when you find them they are so obsessed with their re or the the, the life got their research or whatever the, yeah the, their environment and uh, living conditions are, are really secondary to them you know to everything else and it shows like you know there's there's the corridors are filled with technology and, and sort of uh, litter and um when you see sort of the uh it's one of the scientists snout when you see his sort of um uh living quarters and stuff again they're sort of so disheveled yeah. and everything it's it's, it's, it's I I really liked it. And again, I said, yeah, that, that bit I was really into because, oh, okay, this is, this is where it's going to, it's going to kick up again. I actually quite enjoyed as he walked around that, that, um, around all those living quarters and stuff.
1: Yeah. It's so surreal. Just seeing him wander through the station. Um, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, the station's fallen on hard times, but, uh, you know, also, um, you know, those three scientists who remain have been affected by, what's happening right mm-hmm. and you know as he finds uh uh as he encounters those three scientists um you know again it's it's so you know fascinating the uh both snout and sartorius seem um totally uninterested in him <laughs> you know yeah. like you know it's a visitor to the state and they're like you know look we're crazy right i mean we have yeah. we have things we're dealing with you don't know what's happening here We know what's happening here. We're used to it. Uh, You're going to figure it out. You know, and they they sort of warn him, but they seem so disinterested. It's so surprising. And uh, very quickly, he finds uh, uh, Jabarian, who is the one on the station who he knows, has killed himself. Yes. Uh, Yes. and, And left a video for him. So, I mean, again, he arrives at the space station with three people instead of 80. It's all disheveled. The guy who he knows has killed himself, and the other two are totally uninterested in him. Um, it is and sort of dishevelled. It, it's so amazing to me. It is, and I have to admit
0: this: there's, there's the the way the characters are introduced. I, I, again, it's sort of it's really like you say the um, the three remaining scientists each get their own introduction. So you do you meet Snout in his sort of um, his quarters, and they're all dishevelled. And again, like you say, there is that sort of like oh, so you you must be we, you know. You, you know, you know, you're uh, Kelvin, so you know you're coming. He's like, Yeah, but it is that sort of thing of like, it is literally meh. We heard you were coming, <laughs> makes no difference to us. So he's actually the most welcoming, to be fair. And he, even he's like you say, is a bit sort of like shoulder shrugging. Meh. So you, you're right, you get Snout, Sartorius, and Jabari, Is it Jabarin? I can, yeah. Um, and Snout almost becomes Snout almost becomes your sort of like entry point into the station. He almost becomes like a little bit of exposition. He's like, okay, well, here's the thing that's going to happen. So he's like, Beware of Sartorius. He's a bit of a moody git. When you meet <laughs> Sartorius, he sort of knocks on his door and he's sort of like, you know, I'm here. I've I've been sent to see you. And he sort of he sort of pops his head out and he's like, what do you want? He's like, oh, I'm, I've come from Earth. And you can just see he's like, I don't care. Go away. I've got I'm I'm busy. And what he's busy with. I have got questions about, and it, I, I think I get it. So, one of the things we should say is there's, there's a phenomenon where the planet is somehow projecting what they call guests, which is uh, a physical manifestation of something that is pulled from one of the, from an individual's mind. So, it takes sort of an image or a, a, something from someone's mind and it creates it in a physical way. And Chris Kelvin eventually meets uh, one of these guests. And that's sort of the gist of the story. It's his, 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 his past wife um but sartorius when you first meet him a little person runs out gets picked up and put back in and all I look, think of is what was he thinking about to get that
1: now is is it a uh a little person or is it a child
0: I, I don't know I assumed it was a little person just from that move but it could be a child I don't know it's like you, you sartorius you, you learn the least about him don't you
1: really Right. Yeah. And you don't really, I mean, I feel this, you don't really learn a lot about the other two's uh, guests. Mm. Um, I do feel like, you know, I mean, I would love <laughs> if somebody made a sort of side call to this about the experiences of, of those other two sort of uh, Rashomon style, uh, what they went through mm. as, um, as Kelvin arrived. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, like who is that, who is that? Um, yeah. I assume it's a child. It seems to me as if um, uh, Sartorius, he, behind it, he says, "Like, oh, no, no, it's clear. He does not want Kelvin, yeah. who's there to investigate, <laughs> to come in and see his quarters and see what's going on. Um, and it seems to me that he uh, is there with a the child and that maybe it's a, a child that he had on Earth. Maybe that child is grown up, estranged from him, dead. Uh, we don't know. Um, but that that's kind of what I guess uh, from that. And the child is like, pay attention to me, pay attention to me and, and you find out later that the guests because they you know have been created, essentially, essentially to communicate mm. right with, uh, with these uh, astronauts, uh, these scientists on the station that they are sort of obsessed with the person whose consciousness they came from. So it, it seems as if that child, you know, is banging on the door and eventually breaks free, and you know, and, and very quickly uh, Calvin sees this woman wandering the corridors, and it's like, okay, nobody is interested in me. Yeah. <laughs> they, they treat me with disdain, <laughs> and there are three people on the station. The only one I know is dead. But then there, are why are there these other people on this? This is so bizarre.
0: Well, the thing. This is the two things. You you know you. One of the things is, like you say, it's almost comedic. It, it, it reminded me of, um, it almost reminded me of like Reanimator, like, you know, Jeffrey Coombs sort of like pulling a door closed behind him, like, don't get in there, nothing in there, don't worry about it. And the door just <laughs> banging away behind him in some sort of like, you know, comedy horror fashion because he's trying to hide something. But later on, you sort of, when you find out about um, uh, Kelvin's guests, and one of them, like, literally, well, we'll get into it, but she literally breaks through a door to be with him. Yeah. And there's all this there's almost this notion of like if they're not being observed by the person they're there to see, then they don't exist. Like this this you know, so you can sort of see that like this when he's when Sartorius steps out, there's almost I could like like you say, the child is banging at that door to be to be um seen and to you know to be recognized and to be given attention. It's a really sort of yeah, it's bizarre. But the other thing is as well. So this is where you first get to see Kelvin's. What you get to learn is Kelvin's guest. But you sees um, a woman walking around uh, the space station, and he starts to follow her. Um, And eventually, sort of, she takes him to Jubarian's body, doesn't she? Yes. Um, And I so I was wondering about like, was that intentional? Sort of, you know, was that sort of this? was, Was that the planet communicating with Chris, almost like as a welcome? I don't know. It's was, it was Just to me, it was sort of like, okay, there's something more to that. Like it wasn't an accident. It didn't, it didn't feel coincidental. Like she went into that cold room on purpose and he hadn't quite communicated with it yet. So he's obviously been thinking about Jabari. And so was that almost like a, I don't know, like an opening salvo, like a hello from the planet.
1: Yeah. I, I think it, it's something like that. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I think it's, it, it's just sort of at, at that point, um, Uh, at that point it's just mysterious Mm -hmm. um it's just sort of uh who is this now i mean i'm not you know and it probably is the same actress who plays Hari, the the dead wife but i'm not convinced that it's necessarily uh the wife oh Um, i mean it could be whoever jabarian's guest was
0: that's right Um, yes because in his video, he actually has a woman walk past in the background. And he actually says in the video, did you, did you see her too? Um...
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a creepy moment in the video. I mean, mm. you're watching this video and, and who is this woman, right? You're on a space station. What the hell is this? And she just kind of pops into frame and pops out. Clearly, she's supposed to kind of stay out of frame while he's filming this. Um, yeah, so so that's kind of what I guess at that.
0: That makes almost sense. So it's almost against so it's it's yes yeah, it's it's a past guest almost sort of before they leave existence.
1: Give yeah, this see that's 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 more interesting to me. Um so since, since we're talking about the, the guests, um, you know, there's this whole theme of what what I think uh Solaris is most celebrated for and and deserves all the respect in the world for is the concept of alien aliens. Mm. Um, You know, uh, when you, typically in science fiction, you know, you you had to cast humans as aliens, right? So you put a little makeup on them, you give them a horn, you know, you put some, you know, blue face paint on them and we're done, you know, give them a a weird uh, costume and and there you go, that's an alien from Venus or whatever. Um, And Solaris suggests... That not every extraterrestrial intelligence is going to be compreh- not only um, uh, carbon based, right? I mean, that's mm. an assumption, but it is going to be even comprehensible to us that whatever intelligence it is will have evolved differently in a very different climate and could be very different in unimaginable ways. And in fact, ways that we might find unfathomable to the very structures of our brain. Um, And so having aliens be like, just like us, and you know, like on so many shows, like the Vulcans, right? You can just reproduce (laughs) together, right? Like really, really, Um, you know, is absurd and that's not a serious idea. And so Solara suggests the aliens are really alien. and, And with that also suggests the limits of science. The Mm -hmm. limits of reason, uh, the limits of what we can do. And so I think that even in the response by the other people on the station to Kelvin, um, part of their whole like non-plus thing is like Kelvin's coming there with, you know, it's almost like the, you know, the crusader states, right? Where like somebody from Europe would get there and say like, you know, all right, we're here to fight the infidel. And, you know, people there are like, yeah, the, the infidel is my neighbor and, you know, we have lived side by side for 30 years and, you know, you're going to get it eventually. Just don't kill anyone in the meantime. Um, you know, there's this kind of like Kelvin is coming in with that, that rational certainty. And he's such a certain man. He seems so confident. And the other guys are like, look, you don't get it. We have been face to face with the fact that we are not capable of figuring out the universe. Our brains, which evolved um, inside that universe, are not capable of figuring it out, and we are not going to, you know, uh, solve this. You know, you have this rational certainty. Yeah, good luck with that.
0: No, that, that I have to say that was one of the ideas in this film that I've, I've I latched onto and I really enjoyed was the fact that this alien um, entity. It's, it's literally they refer, it's an ocean it's a, it's a vast body of liquid and they, they let you know look it's got a cerebral um ability Look, it's a thinking organism and it's able to replicate and it's trying to communicate but it's so it's so alien that we're not able to process its motivations its form of communication its existence and we keep even in this film like you say there's an element of they try to apply again that sort of human logic to it. of You know, you know what 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 is it you want? What's it? What we're what we trying to do to it? Well, we're going to fire your brainwaves into it using the radiated pulses and all this other stuff. And so, but what would what, what would that do? What's the point? What are you trying to do? Um, And I just love right. the fact this concept of it just being so distant that like like decades of research and you know tens and tens of scientists. Haven't been able to sort of rationalise and crack what the hell this thing is, um, yeah. I no, I I really dug that. It felt sort of, it felt purely Lovecraftian in that sense of like, and not not the cosmic horror, not this thing is going to come destroy us, but that idea of like, no no no, we're human, it's alien. Like, not only is it had evolution in a different environment, so it's talking for you know, it's coming from a different um, st- you know standpoint and reference point. Like it's evolved, it's a completely different entity down at sort of a molecular level. Like it's just different. Um, I was really impressed with that, especially, you know, in this period in history. So sort I've of been able to talk in those terms.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm glad. And, and I, I feel that same way. I think it's really ambitious. Um, and I mean, you, you compare this depiction, if this is a kind of like living planet, or at least the surface is covered by a sort of like. Um, slurry of a sort of neural network, um, which, which, you know, it's not even clear. Is that one being, or is that a kind of like, uh, um, mass of different organisms that, that work as one, like, you know, a hive does or something. I mean, we don't even know that, but you think about the difference between like this and other depictions of like a living planet, like Mogo, you know, and like, Oh, I'm a living planet, you know, like, give me that green lantern ring. I'd love to help you guys. (laughs) This is just like no, we're we're this planet is completely alien, um, and I love the idea of like okay, if it is completely alien, it, it's reaching out, it's trying to communicate, right? It has, it doesn't know English, right? I mean, in it and it makes these these people mm. from um, from the mind and of the of the you know the the um, people on the station. And those people are—it's fascinating. Those people are imperfect in some ways. Um, they know certain things that they shouldn't, and they don't know other things that they should. Um, and uh, I love—you know—I love the idea that if we do encounter an extraterrestrial intelligence, it is so weird and truly alien. And I'm not really as hopeless as I think Tarkovsky is of ever um, being able to communicate. But I have the feeling like this is a generational project, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you guys back on Earth who just want this to, to work, um, you know, this might be a generational project as these guesses are just made and, you know, we they slowly accumulate data and get the guess right. And we slowly figure out what the hell it is they're trying to say. Um, yeah, and maybe we only communicate in these obtuse ways, right? Uh,
0: yeah, because that was a couple of things. There's, there's um, I mean, two things there. Really. Like, you know, Snout actually says um, later uh, in the film, so they have a, a dinner party or his birthday party, and he actually says at one point, he says like, humans long for contact, but when we get it, we don't know what to do with it. So you know, we're being sent these guests, like we're getting contact. This thing is trying to communicate with us. We just do not know how to sort of process it, um, and I just thought it was really interesting this idea that like you know we keep trying to make contact, but we can't do anything with it, and so almost like the Earth has almost given up. It's almost like, well, we can't do anything with it, so leave it alone. Um, but I, I like the idea as well that the planet is actually studying us. So like you say, this idea that like decades ago, um, the guests or these these materializations were slightly wrong, you know. There was, like you say, there was a four meter tall child, or um, he says about when he see, when he saw the garden in the ocean, it cracked and it all sort of boiled away, and all this other stuff. Like that. it couldn't quite get things right. It wasn't able to sort of represent um, to fully interpret what we were coming from our mind. But decades later, when there's only a couple of scientists left, now it's able to project uh, almost like a per, um, an almost perfect replication of something from somebody's mind um so yeah i'm fascinated to see, like well what's been the evolution of these guests what was the first thing that showed up on the space station what was it like to begin with you know was it was it sort of like a, a an amorphous blob or was it you know with something with a face couldn't talk couldn't do this like have these grown Have these evolved have they become more um you know uh what's what i'm looking for i suppose just more
1: perfect or you know better representations right well, I mean, remember there's that line, um, uh, I, am not sure if it's Snout who says like, um, uh, oh, she's sleeping already. Yes. Right? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, like maybe the planet's getting better at making these, uh, guests, uh, she just sleeps that first night. Mm. Right. And the implication is that, yeah, the guests previously had to learn how to sleep, um, but, you know, I mean, I, I love this sort of, like, these imperfections. Um, I mean, if there's one one shot in the movie that I think uh, it just sticks with me and it, it just is haunting, and there are a lot, but um, is the, uh, w- after Hari, his dead wife, has appeared and she sort of appears really creepy watching him as he mm. sleeps. There's this sort of focus on him sleeping and then, you know, you're not sure if it's a flashback or, or is she in the room? And then she's just sitting in the chair watching him. And it's so creepy. And she doesn't know that she's dead. Uh, She's concerned with mundane things like her shoes. Mm -hmm. You know, she's instead of like, I I was dead. (laughs) Right. You know, Doesn't recognize herself in the photo until she sees her own reflection. But then he tries to get her out of her dress. Uh, and he takes the ties out and when he removes the, the, the thread, right. It's, the, the it's tie, solid. There's, it's solid. Yeah. There's no slit between the two rings of holes that stays with me. That haunts me. Like, you know, the aliens get, you know, the, the alien, right. That, I mean, even using that term is uncertain. This planet, this consciousness has pulled these ties mm. can reproduce them from, from memory but doesn't understand the point of them right yes. are they decoration or or what and that's so fascinating my god well the, cuz there's two things I mean, there's there's two
0: things about that as well that I really like cuz the say cuz she every time she materializes cuz he will get on to what happens to the first guest uh, materialization of uh, of harry um she she appears with a shawl like a like a knitted shawl thing and then when the second one appears she comes with the same shawl so it's obviously you know it's this thing of like it replicates that but the first one hasn't gone and so it shows it sort of zooms in on a shot doesn't it it's like the two of them being draped over a chair and it's sort of to show that this is obviously a second one it's a rematerialization so again it's that thing of the planet is constantly trying it's sort of picking out bits of thought and gonna go well, that's clearly important and this and that um which is which is fascinating
1: but i also i i, I love that that's that shawl shock, yes right i mean over the chair. But I mean you did mention that the, the reason why that we need a second is because, you know, uh Kelvin sort of like freaks out and kills yes, that's, this this wife.
0: That's <laughs> my that's what I thought. That was what I was gonna say. It's it's almost comedic to me now. Like well, I'm watching it and he says, Okay, we'll get in this spacesuit, you know, here you go. And he takes her out to the pod, which I assume he arrived in, and he's like, Okay, get it, are you comfy? Are you, get, I'm gonna close the door, there you go. And then he jettons her into space. And I was, I was uh-huh. like, wow, like is it? it it's a such a sort of, of um, sort of just a reaction, it's like a knee-jerk reaction. Is like, Don't know what this is. Don't like it. Get rid of it. <laughs> but I was, I was like I, well, like, I didn't know what to do with that when I first watched. It. I was like, well,
1: that's a really weird reaction. No, I think so too. I mean, you know, there is a part of me that sort of watches that and thinks like, wow, like I got my dead wife back, who I obviously love, um, and my first reaction is like, kill yeah, her. Yeah. You know? but, when does she poison? But herself? I think that, yeah. I mean, upon reflection, I mean, I think that he is just in such a state of shock. Mm. It's clear that he isn't thinking that he, that he loves her so much. Once she comes back, he's like, okay, I can't kill her. Um, you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, but it seems very impulsive. It seems just like, this is a horror. Mm. This is not right. Um, and she's fascinating. I mean, she's, my God, you know, the, the sort of the part one ends with her looking at him and she says, why do you keep looking at me like that? You know? And you think, my God, because, because you're dead, right? I mean, how do you say it? I mean, it's so creepy and so fascinating. and, And so, so much of a sort of like encounter with something you can't understand in space, the, the mind staring at itself in the mirror and, Reeling a well, the
0: thing as well that to, to realise is not only is it his dead wife; it's she's actually materialised in the clothes she was wearing when she died. And um, yes. So you know, there's a there's like a there's a rip in the sleeve of her dress that's not a dress for a while. Like she sort of they don't talk about it for a while until he explains like how she killed herself and she actually injected herself with mm-hmm. poison. And she's obviously torn it. And she says, he says, like, all that was left was was like a a, a pop, you know, like a pop mark on her arm. And she's all oh, like this. And you realise that, yeah, the reason he's so freaked out is like like she's literally materialised as he last saw her when she died, so it's no wonder that, that reaction yeah. was so aggressively sort of like you know just get, get the get out of it. I can't I can't deal with this, um, which again sort of like you know makes it more interested in the sense of like the the planet hasn't gone and gone. Oh, here's your best memory. Like she hasn't turned up in a wedding dress or you know, here's something that you wore on your favorite when you went out for a date or your favorite meal or a beach or wherever. Like, your memory, your last burning memory of this person is the moment you found her dead, which is
1: horrific. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I find fascinating is that the planet has reproduced her with all of her failings, right? I mean, this is not like, I I, I mean, I always imagine like, Later, uh, or, or I guess it was earlier, you know, Star Trek episodes where you know, like, oh, you know, the alien makes uh, women appear, and you know, of course, of course, Kirk has sex with all of them, <laughs> but um, you know, the aliens are like, I can grant your wishes, you know, look at these these women, um, you know, uh, you know, I could bring your dead wife back, you know, uh, you know, a shape changer or whatever. Here, the the dead wife comes back, and she has all the psychological flaws that the wife has, yeah. so you know, what's initially well, initially he, he kills her um, and then in horror, and then when she comes back, uh, I, I love that, you know, Snout says, oh, after he finds out he killed her, Snout's just like, oh, well, you know he's totally nonplussed <laughs> by that either and he's just like, well, next yes. time yeah. you know, just get out of the uh, room before the rocket takes off so you're not yeah. injured, you know. Uh, just be cooler as you're killing the next <laughs> one, you know. Like, like, I've been through this, man. Um, But I love that, you know, Hari has, she comes back, and, you know, ultimately that second version commits suicide too in a different way, and it's frustrating. And, you know, there's this kind of, like, haunting idea of, um, you know, somebody who keeps killing themselves is is a depressed suicidal damaged person who keeps killing themselves and can't die and keeps coming well that's back. the thing that really struck um,
0: me yeah is that like there's one moment where you know he he comes out onto the corridor to speak to Snow and um much like when you first met sartorius and the child beat on the door and he was let out like um, whilst uh, Kelvin is speaking to to Snout, she p- pounds on the door and eventually breaks through it. In doing so, she actually is injured. Like you know, her arms are all cut and her hands are all cut. Um, and the the weird thing this film is like you know when she when they tend to the wounds, the wounds wash off. So it's like you know like you say she's she, she she's human. She looks human. She bleeds, but she again she's not quite perfect. Like you know, the wounds just sort of wash off. They're not they are literally skin deep you know um and then when she tries to commit suicide later on she drinks liquid oxygen and so when you see her first like you know she's frozen she's pleases and it brings her back and she's choking and coughing and like she's really struggling and it's it's horrific like she's and she's saying she's literally sort of saying like what why can't i do this like i'm trying you know i can't why can't i process this um, and you can see he doesn't know what to do with it either because it's so hard to sort of try and comfort someone that you're not entirely sure is human, but he's clearly going through an emotional reaction to having tried to remove themselves from existence. It's it's yeah. I have to admit that yeah, and quite also, hard watching.
1: Yeah, and also I mean the pain that I mean the that she seems to be going through as she's brought back. I mean her body isn't you know like you snap your fingers and you know, it's back to pristine condition. It's sort of repairing itself. And this, those spasms are so horrific. Um, I mean, okay. So the, the actress who played Hari just steals the show. Mm. I mean, everybody has Russian names. I'm not going to butcher <laughs> them, but uh, she steals the show. Tarkovsky knew it. Everybody knew it. In fact, she, the real actress apparently had a, uh, a love affair with Tarkovsky um where, where it was one of these things where Tarkovsky kind of fell in love with a character and apparently when you know uh he broke it off, she tried to commit suicide in real life. So I mean like <laughs> wow. but but she is she is I mean, she steals the show. She is so brilliant. Um and her spasms as she's reviving and sort of not able to breathe, uh are you know, brilliant.
0: Yeah, she mean, uh, she she is um yeah the strong watch she is a standout in this film she's absolutely excellent and um uh it, it so you say she gives a speech later on they have a party for its snout's birthday and sort of snout and sotorius and, and kelvin and she're there and harry are there and and you know snout gives all this stuff about uh these these sort of things as we said before about uh you know what you know we try to make contact and we don't understand it and then he says, about sort of, why do we reach out to other planets when we don't really know what we're going to do with ours? And he sort of makes all these sort of like, you know, there's a whole monologue with all this other sort of stuff. And then he talks about being human and, and what it is to be human. And she sort of comes back and she says, Well, I'm human. You know, like I'm here. I'm sort of like, I, I'm, I feel deeper than you do. And I'm trying to process this and I'm struggling. And it's you know, the way she sort of does it, it's really sort of, it resonates in that fact of like, you know, she is, um, as you said, still struggling to patch together what it is to be human. Like the human condition to her is still almost like a work in progress. But she's having to deal with all this really heavy baggage. Like it's, you know, the training wheels have come off pretty quick, and it's it's really sort of you think, yeah, like that. It's no wonder you're struggling with this. Like you say, she's clearly got some sort of psycho- psychological problems, and then you've got to deal with the fact of like, yeah, you don't actually, you're not the person you think you are. And she's having to deal with that.
1: it's, Yeah, it gets quite... Yeah, literally later on she says, I'm not me. Yeah. My God, I mean, it's so paradoxical. Um, You know, and I mean, you're right to isolate that uh, Sartorius' birthday party uh, where he gives that sort of speech, which I take as, you know, representing Tarkovsky's views about, you know, the limits of genius Mm -hmm. and, you know, we don't really know what to do if we did contact other worlds and you know, it's a kind of like focus on the here and now kind of thing, which I don't love in science fiction, but okay. Um, But, you know, I was going to say that, I mean, Hari's depiction, that's sort of like, I'm not me, Um, but she's not human, Mm. right? I mean, she's, she is a replicant. And I wanted to say that like, for all of the good press, we're going to talk about Blade Runner later for all of the adulation that Blade Runner gets. And I love that movie. Um, And it gets primarily for, you know, besides its style, its depiction of replicants, its depiction of um, an artificial life form sort of struggling with what it means to be have been created and have these limits and to be made in a human image yet not fully human or whatever. But the truth is in Blade Runner, they don't really struggle with it that much. They go on a rampage. They talk about having seen the stars as they die. Mm. But, you know, the, like uh, the, the um, love interest in that film, who is, again, for me, the most interesting character, you know, she finds out that she's a replicant. She doesn't like go through an existential crisis. Her response is like, oh, let's have sex with Harrison Ford. That'll solve it. Um, Solves everything. You know, here in, well, well I mean, that's what I do. Yeah. Every time. I get upset. I, I, you know, I email Harrison Ford. Um, but. You know, I mean, I think this movie does such a better job of of the replicant thing of of having Hari really deal with you know, my God, I'm I'm not, you know, I have these feelings. I am not her. I'm not Hari. I'm I'm something else, and I don't know how to understand this. I don't know. I don't recognize myself in the mirror. I don't have. Um, I you know, I am not. Uh, this person, I'm I'm jealous of this person in a way Um, but, I mean, there's this wonderful bit after she comes back where she says, you know, to uh, Kelvin, Kelvin is so uh, happy to have her, and she says, you know, how could you have gone on without me? You know, she's learning what this means to be in love, and, you know, how could you go on after my death, right? Um, And he says, you know, yeah, I thought about you, but not all the time. Yeah, And and only when I was sad, oh god! And that, well, that's a really, but it, but it's such an honest
0: response, and I think that's the thing about this film. it. It feels honest, you know. Because again, if, if you were to sort of Hollywoodize this film, or they'd, they'd romanticize it, and they'd be like, "I was heartbroken for decades," and you know all this other stuff, and I, I've I've now got a tattoo of your face on my arm, and all this other shit. Like, it's not that. It's like, yeah, I, I grieved for you, I did, but you know, I, mean, I don't know if you know how long. Uh, it's supposed to have been that she's I think it's supposed to be like a 10 years or so isn't it because
1: yeah it's 10 you
0: know. years. so he's like yeah I grieve for you and I still I still do think about you but I, I've literally I've, ha- I've had to carry on you know and that sort of thing and it feels honest in that respect that it's not um you know I, I loved you and but it, even to the fact that it's acknowledging that even when she was alive that their relationship wasn't some sort of um Romeo and Juliet, you know, some sort of like idyllic, romantic vision. It was like, oh no, they, they had a relationship. They loved each other, but it was never always sort of picnic and rainbows. Like they had clearly had problems. Um,
1: and it, it, you know, it, it yeah, she's, she's depressed. Yeah. She's suicidal. I mean, she not only killed herself. I mean, he left without her, mm. right? She didn't want to go. He was willing. The, the implication is he was willing to have her, uh, come with him and she said no she said i don't want to leave uh you know he was relocating for work um and she killed mm-hmm. herself um when she's resurrected he kills yeah. her <laughs> she kills herself you know she tears herself up trying to get through that door and you know it becomes like by before um, she disappears um you know she's destroyed off screen um before that happens like in the uh birthday uh party scene i kind of get the feeling like she's not just his um imagination anymore i mean she is standing up for herself she's defending herself um she's kind of coming to her own and i love that you know like you said i mean there's no hollywood cliched love story um and in fact there's that there's that great line at the at the uh during that birthday party at the end where uh, I think it's Sartoria says, don't turn a, turn a scientific problem into a common yes. love story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end, when, when um, Calvin finds out that uh, the other scientists have um, conspired to kill her, um, his reaction is, he loves her. I mean, he, he would keep her alive if he could, but his reaction is uh, to say, no, I don't want her back um i don't uh yeah don't worry about it i mean it's better off i don't want her back again i mean that's shocking yeah but again it's that thing isn't it's honest you know it's that thing of like
0: you know again the hollywood thing would be like no i've got to sacrifice myself and i'm gonna travel into almost that sort of um Dante's Inferno thing. I'm going to travel through hell to bring back the one I love, sort of thing. In, in this, he's like, no, no, I've gone through that pain. I've dealt. I've dealt with that. Like, I've got to carry on. It's, it's, it's easier. I'm going to be honest. It's easier for her not to come back. Um, and I, I, I yeah, and it was
1: a, it, a messed up relationship, right? It's I mean, honest. It's yeah. clear. It's, uh, and, right. I mean, look at how many relationships are like that right I mean she killed herself and that's the thing it's
0: a self-destructive it's a, it's a destructive relationship and it's not it's not a you know you say it's not a, a Romeo and Juliet story or probably a bad example to be fair but it's not a clear-cut you know love <laughs> story this isn't going to end in in you know uh, a happy ending it's not supposed to um and they almost have to be taken apart separated for at least one of them to carry on um and, Cause I do like this idea that sort of like you say at one point when, when um, Chris Kelvin has his sort of like a bit of a, not much a breakdown, I suppose, but he has his moment at the end where he has a bit of a sort of, you know, a bit of a break. And he says something actually, which really which sort of struck me was this idea of philosophy. And he says, he says, you know, you look at philosophy and you look at all these great things. And you know, this idea of the, looking at the, the nature of being and existence and all this ex- existential stuff he says, he says, "Really, you know, a happy person doesn't look at that because you're okay. happy like that. For you, at that moment, that isn't the nature of being. That is the nature of existence: to be happy, to be content, to be." He says, "You only look at these greater questions when you are sad and when you are, you know, depressed." Or, and he was like, "So, it's that thing again of sort of like, if I'm asking these questions really, then I'm clearly not happy. So, I've got to do something about it." And it, but it struck me that that point of. Really philosophy is, is you know, an existential question and is you wouldn't ask those questions if you were happy. Um,
1: yeah, and again, it, it kind of gets back to the, the beginning with nature and you know the horse. I mean presumably that horse does not ask those <laughs> questions right? Uh, presumably that horse is as content as anyone else. and, and, and certainly in uh, the modern Western world, uh, we sit around and ask these mm-hmm. questions and we watch movies like <laughs> Solaris and Blade Runner and, you know, and, and make podcasts about what's going on in them and what's the meaning of life and, you know, uh, and art. And, uh, you know, uh, one may well guess that that horse is happier yeah. than yeah. that, you know, agonizing <laughs> individual, certainly happier than Burton. As he's in the back of a car, being driven through a concrete landscape, remembering this horror that happened all these years ago, Um, and again, maybe this is like the limits of knowledge, the limits of science. Um, What are we doing all of this for? Yeah, well, that's one of the questions that sort of
0: I I found was really interesting. Um, I'm going to quickly check the notes. It was this this idea of, of, you know why there you go studying the planet and i've just put i've just put is the search for knowledge enough or does it need a point you know so do, do you need a purpose for studying knowledge? so they've been studying this planet for decades and we always study things and go oh, you've got to understand the nature of the universe and of other stuff and you sort of go well why and you go well we just need to and you go okay so is, is it just the pursuit of knowledge is enough or do you need to have a purpose then? Does it need to further us in some way? Like if it doesn't further us, is there a point to it? And it sort of feels a bit like if this planet, like if it's not going to gain them anything, do they need to be studying? It's almost like they've given up on it. But I like that question of, you know, should we should we just be furthering for the sake of knowledge or do we need to give it a context?
1: Well, and and I think this gets back to what Tarkovsky was trying to get at of previous science fiction being about the technology Mm. and this is being about the human condition. Um, I do have to say, though, that I am kind of, I think I have a solution to this quandary and I think I'm also bothered by it in science fiction. Um, I mean, I would say personally that uh, I am an animal. And that I cannot stop philosophizing. Mm. I cannot stop watching art. I am happier and more functional when I see beautiful art and art that makes me think and art that moves me. It is a salve for my, for lack of a better term, my spirit. Um, and maybe this is just how I am made. I cannot be a horse. Uh, I seem to be an artsy fartsy intellectual. <laughs> um, Let's be that, because that, I can't not do that. I was made this way. Um, so you can be that, you can do that without uh, sort of surrendering all concept of nature. But I have no illusion that I'm going to uh, realize the eternal truths of the universe. Um, I don't believe there is an end uh, in mind to these philosophical quests or artistic quests. I don't think there is a goal. Um, I think it's just how I was made and I can't stop doing it. And it is, it is an obsession and it is ultimately no more meaningful than any other human Mm. endeavor. Um, but then there's the issue, but then uh, contrary to that, I have this problem with sci-fi. Um, I recently saw Ad Astra, um, and Ad Astra does one of the, I mean, it's a horrible movie, by the way, um, (laughs) It re- it does. Uh, one of the things that I, um, I that I really hate in sci-fi, which is, um, ultimately, none of this matters. What it's really about is your loved ones and the people close to you, and you know the life around you. You can journey to Neptune, but you're gonna come back and just hug the hug your woman close. You know, um, and. 2001 doesn't do that you know other stuff doesn't do that i think uh interstellar does that a little bit you know if that has a weakness it's the kind of like the power of love yeah that, you that's know. that's where i got um, off that film to be fair yeah and, and i agree i mean but so i think i do have an intellectual problem with this film sort of being a sci-fi film about contacting extraterrestrial life <clears throat> and ultimately saying you know none of this matters what matters is this human stuff. I don't know that I disagree with that, but I also think we are made to uh, find new continents and to and to sail the stars and to, and to uh, contact other life. If there is other life out there, why the hell are we sitting on Earth? We should be contacting mm. it. I mean, to me, even if it takes generations to figure out what the hell it is and how we can communicate, to me, science fiction is a, a, a calling and is... Uh, Pointing toward a direction for the species, it's not simply um, a uh, metaphor for our limits, and and I can accept that, but I, I do have a problem with it less so in this film than others, but I do. Sorry, no, no I,
0: you're right, and it's a it's a wonderful point to make because I think you're right that one of the problems that you know, and it happens in everything, every time we do a science fiction film, it, you know we always come back to. This notion of, of humanity, you know what it is to be human, um, and so you know you say even when you go off into the most alien of, of things, like you say, there's you 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 hit it right with Star Trek. You know what is this Earth thing called kissing? It's sort of like you know that oh that's the that's the do you know It's like well that's the best way of, of communicating yeah. that I, I'm I'm attracted to you. And they go oh okay. Well, what we do is we punch each other, and you go oh, well that's that's your you know it's, it's it's this idea of sort of the difference. But we 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 have to keep bringing it back, to, I suppose, to a reference point that we can understand. I suppose it's sort of like a, a, a storytelling technique, or a, at least a film point of. So, what's your reference point? What is your reference? So, I, I read some, I saw something recently. It was on um, literally just scanning through YouTube, and someone said to me, "If if a lion could talk, you still couldn't communicate with them, because their point of reference is so different to ours." That you know, even if they speak English, like you just wouldn't be able to communicate with them. Um, and I think you know, when you think, okay, take that and now take it off our planet, you know, to some extra extra extraterrestrial extra thing. Then again, like you know, that communication, that contact, is going to be a thousand times more difficult. But we seem to keep inserting mm-hmm. this idea of humanity into, or at least. Be assumed that this more intelligent extraterrestrial life form is going to be able to communicate to us, um, or have a message for us, yeah, whether it be, you know, Jodie Foster's dad appearing in contact, or um, you know, uh, Amy Adams talking through circles in um, Arrival. Those sorts of things. Like it keeps going back to these human concepts, and at some point, you sort of think back to, I I'll go back to Lovecraft quite a bit, but there are stories he's done where you know you come back to these things of. They're just alien They're just, you know their concept of, of reality and, and existence could be so far removed from ours that contact could be like literally impossible because you just we just could not make that connection uh, and this sort of comes close to sort of getting to that point of removing the humanity and saying there's something there and yeah we should study it and we should look at it but you know what trying to talk with it is gonna
1: be impossible yeah absolutely. Um, and, and I think that, you know, when you were talking about these other science fiction films, um, you know, part of the problem isn't just that they uh, are focused on the human, it's that they constantly lionize the human and make the human the central point, mm. right? I mean, you know, if, if you're data on Star Trek, why the hell would you want to be <laughs> yeah. human, right? You know, I mean... I have no interest in being human. I want to be data. That sounds a <laughs> lot better. Um, you know, uh, these aliens are always like, "Oh, you know, uh, human culture is so fascinating." Yeah. They never say, "Yeah, you guys are kind of ants to us." Um, you know, your little ritual of of squirting some pheromone as you salute the to salute the queen like it, it doesn't really interest me as a human being. Um, you know there's this way in which being human is always so lionized and the aliens are always so interested in that. And of course that isn't reality. I mean, everything we know about the universe is that anthropocentrism has always Mm -hmm. been wrong, right? The idea that, um, you know, humans are the focus of the planet, right? You know, we were made in God's image and, you know, earth is the center of the universe and, you know, the sun orbits around the earth. All of this is wrong as is, I'm sure, the idea that we're alone Mm. in the universe and all of this massiveness was made just for us in an unimportant arm of the Milky Way. Yeah, (laughs) right, man. Um, But, you know, so I am irritated at this kind of like, isn't it faster the human mystery, the mystery of the human condition? Why why is it more mysterious than a horse? Mm. I don't know. I mean, obviously, this movie does want to explore the human condition, but I think that um, you know that human condition has a lot more in common with that horse than it does that alien surface of the planet. No, it's true. I mean, it's that thing again. It's that reference point, isn't
0: it? Like you say, there are there are alien. You know, there are things that we would consider alien right here on Earth that would are just as elusive and just as sort of confusing as that ocean being on that on that planet um it's just, yeah
1: i mean i, I want to talk to a squid i want science <laughs> to uh, invent a device you know where i could talk to a squid and you know i mean as you say i mean it has n- i mean it doesn't have a concept of air and breathing and you know nothing i mean it doesn't even have a you know it doesn't even have a brain right i mean you can the, it has an electrical system but it does not have a brain how do we even understand that? And that's on this planet. Obviously, there's no brain on uh, on a uh, goose swirling in the ocean. No, so it,
0: it. They call it a cerebral substance, don't they? So it's clearly like a massive cortex or some sort. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's so alien. That that's And that's what's so fantastic about it. Um, it is. It, okay, so so you want to talk about the yes, ending? Yes, I do want to talk about the ending. Uh, <laughs> so the ending is, is two parts. So as you said, sort of like, so Harry is removed from the picture now i wasn't clear does she kill herself eventually destroy herself or is she destroyed
1: well both she she re- has requested basically kelvin gets sick yes. right and he seems to have this hallucination of multiple Harries, and there's a dog on the station and it's that seems to be a hallucination um is that his mother by the way i assume that's his thought, mother like some sort of hark- that, yeah, yeah i think so it's
0: never made completely um, clear but
1: yeah, and so so when he comes to, and he's sort of come out of this sort of fever, um, he's told, uh, yeah, Hari's dead, and she requested that the other scientists use this thing that they've been talking about that will block, block neutrin- disrupt mm. neutrinos, and the these uh, guests are made of neutrinos instead of uh, um, our usual atoms, uh, our usual um uh, protons and electrons. So uh, it's sort of like, I mean, I imagine if they had the budget to film it, it would be like Dr. Manhattan, yes. right? In, like she, apart. she goes into this thing and they take her apart physically. Is yeah. That's that sort picture?
0: of, that was what I thought. Uh, yeah. I wasn't sure. Like when they explained it, I was like, oh, okay, that's what I thought it was, but I wasn't quite sure. But yeah, that you've cleared it up for me.
1: Okay. So, so yeah, so she's gone. She's out of the picture.
0: Yeah. And then and then so as far as I'm aware, he basically goes to, so it sort of cuts to him walking the garden and you see the um you know, walking by the water and you see the cabin and he walks up to the cabin, it's the long shots are back, the waters you know, the the foliage in the water's back, and he goes through and the house is leaking, um, and he sees his uncle and his uncle gets wet and they, they sort of communicate and then you see that this is on the planet that right? Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. So so let's let's back yeah. up. Okay. So I mean I know this this is an ambiguous ending. I mean people people struggle with it. I've struggled with it. Um, okay. So so just to back up, as after you know Hari has been killed, right, or the duplicate two mm-hmm. or three of Hari has been has been killed finally, um, a few things have happened, right? This projecting of these the encephalogram to the oceans has caused another shift in the planet's attempt to communicate. And and one thing is that uh, two things are happening. One is it's no longer resurrecting the guests when they die. So the guests can just be killed, and it's not trying to communicate in that way right. anymore, right? Okay, interesting, right? It's like a puzzle. Put it together. Then the second thing is it's building islands on the surface of the planet. Islands are forming on the surface of the, there's never been mm. land, right? On the, that we know of on the surface, but these islands are forming, presumably this consciousness is creating them. And mm. then the last, and then the last time we see the station, uh, Kelvin is kind of debating whether or not mm. to go home, right? Like the mission's over, he's totally yeah. uninterested in like this original mission, right? But it's just like, should I stay here? should I go home? Does that, what does that mean? What should I do? And um, the other scientists kind of encourage him to go home. And then you cut to what you're saying, him on the planet. Um, um And, and again, okay. So a few things when he's on, when he's back, he's apparently back at the cabin mm-hmm. and it's winter now. Right. So the winter contrasts to the summer of that yes. early sequence, where everything was lush and green. And now that same lake is frozen and now things kind of look dead. Um, And apparently that's his father in the cabin and he goes up to it. And it's not that it's leaking. I understand like the confusion because I I have been confused at that too. It's that it's raining inside. Um, It's raining inside the house. Um, so
0: again it's one of those sort of, it's one of no those rain imperfections outside. that the uh, um the planet has quite grasped how sort of meteor meteorology works
1: right yeah exactly it's another kind of dress that doesn't open uh between the ties um uh it's raining inside and not outside right. um so that i think that's supposed yeah. to be your clue like oh, besides it's winter, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's dead. Uh, You know, it's not true Mm. nature, right? I mean, it's not this lushness. Uh, Here's this imperfection. Um, And then Kelvin sort of drops to his knees uh, as his father comes out and he sort of drops to his knees and embraces him and the camera slowly pulls out and keeps pulling out and pulling out as it's revealed this whole thing is apparently on an island in the in the yeah on the surface so you're kind of left to wonder like what does that mean does that mean like this whole movie mm. wasn't real was it you know is this all like a simulation is he, is he... um i think intuitively oh is it because the thing that
0: made to me is like how long has he been on the station you know in the um, like you say what sort of i i sort of yeah it was just bizarre to me. Like I was like, you say, it made me question what had gone before. But I was very much like, okay, so what? What does this mean for, like, Harry? So is Harry gonna? An, another Harry gonna turn up on the island? Is it? You know, can Snout and Satorius now come down? Is it sort of? It, it, yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it left things open. I was yeah. like, okay, what? it was how even to this extent. Like if they're made by neutrinos like, okay, well, how is he going to get sustenance? How is, is he? In, is it just a visit?
1: Is he going to leave? It sort
0: of, yeah, it was um.
1: Well, so I think I figured this out. I mean, I think kind of like emotionally we imagine that what hap- what has happened is that uh Kelvin has gone down to the surface and he's kind of in this simulation, mm-hmm. right? Um uh, and it makes you kind of second guess what's real. Um but keep in mind there's no evidence that you can breathe on the surface. Um you know, they're taking planes down. I mean, there's no, there's no, given how much care this, this movie takes with sort of presenting an alien alien, it's unlikely that there's an oxygenated, you know, surface. Now, maybe the, the, uh, alien consciousness could make that, but, um, there's no evidence that he would go down to the surface or even that they have necessarily a ship that would take them down to the surface. Um, what i think has happened is that the planet has changed the way it uh is interacting with the humans so it's no longer bringing the guests back to life it's no longer interested in communicating mm-hmm. that way however it has the encephalogram of kelvin and what it's done is it's recreated kelvin that whole thing has been recreated from his memories that Kelvin that you see on the surface isn't oh. real. That is a guest. The father is a guest and it's playing out the simulation to try to understand humans. That's what I think is happening.
0: Oh, so he actually has gone. Home. You haven't seen it, but he's gone. Home. So this is like I said, so this is again that consciousness taking that information and processing it and again, like I said, well, so doing its own research, doing its own studying of these beings that have been
1: observing it for, for so long. Yeah, that's this is what I think is happening in the end. Now you know I'm not, I have no authority, but I think I think that is what makes the most. Yeah, sense that
0: makes the most sense. That. that does make sense. Yeah,
1: in, in, like, yeah it's in mm. like stage three, right? Like stage one was whatever it was doing before the guests, and then there was this like guest stage after that the, that pilot went missing, where it uh, was communicating through these guests um, who were kind of like learning more, and now it's got that encephalogram it's changed and we're in stage three and stage three is like it's creating these little petri dishes uh where it's watching <laughs> yeah. you know these uh replicants uh interact in a, an imperfect environment no that, That's that, that,
0: that 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 does make to think back in my head that does make a lot of sense that so actually what you're doing is you say so you're not actually seeing kelvin on his like a final thing you're actually seeing the story of the astronauts is over. And that's it's it's almost like um it's a planetary epilogue. So you almost get an epilogue of like, okay, well, that story's over. He has gone home, you know, he's he's obviously a very different person now, but and just so you know, yeah, the planet of Solaris is now actually processing this information. It's now processing this story that sort of happened around it, uh, and, and it's continuing its own research. I really like that. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's 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 my interpretation, and that's what I, I I think it makes more sense than I think. The first time I saw it, I thought, "Oh, he must have gone down to mm, the surface." That, that, that and, was my, you know, he's he's living. Yeah, that was my first. Yeah. I watched
0: it and I was like, I was like, why did he go down? Like, how did he know? Like, you know, that he could survive down there and that sort of thing. So, but thinking about it that way, um, because again, it was one of those where I kept flicking back and I was thinking, have I missed? Have I misread a, a subtitle? Or yeah. Have I missed something? Um,
1: so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've done the same thing too, man. I mean, I've I've tried to figure it out and contemplated it, and um, but it but it also it, it's also cool that like in 1972 there's this awesome mm. twist ending, right? Like now that's become such a cliche in Hollywood and in mm. sci-fi movies, like you know. Um, you know that it's almost mocked, and boy, that's that's really a sort of twist ending. Um, uh, maybe lessened a little by the fact that it's as likely to create confusion in the audience than uh, yeah. anything. Um, but you know, we don't really know whether Calvin has gone home. Um, you know, presumably he has, but is the Cal? If if I'm right about this, and that's a duplicate Calvin just like it was a a duplicate hari um is that kelvin on the surface Mm. right i mean it's like the replicant question because kelvin's if we assume Kelvin goes back to earth he's gonna die right and there's gonna be like copies of kelvin hypothetically living out these weird imperfect lives where it rains indoors uh uh you know and everything's winter and kind of dead because uh, that's the only really point then. So look, it's yeah, had that encephalogram. So it's, it's actually
0: obviously looking at everything that was in. The, cause to the idea was they took a look at basically a scan of or something of, of Chris Calvin's brain and they fired it down at the planet using these sort of radioactive pulses. So it's getting all, all the information from his brain and it's playing these things that like they say, these little vignettes or sort of, you know, stage plays of his moments in his um, memory, really, or his experience. And. Um, so this is obviously, you know, at some point there was this interaction with his father. It happened at winter and all this other stuff. But again, I, I like the fact that, like you say, that actually the story it goes back to this idea of observation and study and knowledge and all this other thing. Again, of well, the story doesn't end. Actually, like we've seen, we've seen Chris Kelvin's story, and to be fair, like before you've seen a glimpse of it, you've, there was Burton's story. You know, he saw these things. He was ridiculed. It looks, it looks like he was kicked out of the military or whatever. and There was all these other scientists on this um, space station, and you've had the first iteration of the guests, and then the second iteration of the guests, and they've obviously all dwindled down. and You're not entirely sure why. Is it because of funding? Is it because people couldn't cope with having to deal with these guests? And then you finally get Kelvin's story. So it's almost like you say it's. it's, And then the story continues on the planet. You know that you've you've, um, you've now got this continuation of observation and research and knowledge building, but now instead of it being scientists observing the planet, it's the planet sort of trying to interpret these little pests that were sort of circling around it at some point, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And, and, I mean, it's possible that the planet will reach out again. I mean, it's possible that, I mean, they've talked about bombarding the planet with X-rays and, um, well, they they sent out X-rays, which is what triggered um, the difference between like stage Mm. one and stage two. But there's this kind of like doomsday protocol where if we can't understand it, who cares if we destroy it? That's debated that of bombarding the surface with radiation. Um, And uh, there's even this kind of discussion of, well, if that does kill this extraterrestrial life, we might learn something by watching it die. And at least then we'd know what the hell it was, or at least we'd have something to study because right now we're nowhere. Um, so there is this kind of like idea that maybe science is potentially deadly. I mean, obviously Hiroshima comes to mind and this is 72, um, you know, nuclear war, but also, um, but also it suggests that we don't know mm. what the next chapter is, right? I mean, the planet might reach out, you know, go through, uh, a period and reach out again, or there might be, uh, the scientists might decide hell, let's bombard it or, uh, you know the earth government could you know make that decision for them and send new people out to say like look kelvin failed right i mean we can't get anything out of the solaris station obviously whatever's going on there is a is a not working is a bust uh eh, let's just bombard the planet you know let's let's see what happens um so that might yeah, happen. Yeah, we don't it know. leaves it
0: open. So there's so much. There are, there is like more story to tell, which is a great thing, I think. When you get great science fiction, it's all, you know it's it's not always closed caption. There's obviously more you can do, and this. even you said about these sort of like you know there are mini stories that you could be telling actually within this story, like you know what's happening with behind the closed doors of Sartorius's quarters and laboratory, or what's going on with yeah. Snout and and you know other bits. So yeah, it it, it does open up the world. Um, it's, a, it's weirdly a two hour, 46 minute film. And yeah, it doesn't tell enough info, It doesn't tell enough story. <laughs> uh,
1: well, yeah. I mean, a, any movie that, uh, has characters having a party in which one of them angrily reminds somebody else yeah. that she's not real, yeah. I think I'm yeah. in love with, you know, um, so, I mean, I love you, man. You, I am glad that you uh, that you saw this. Did I force you to endure um, extended pain? Um, you know, in, in watching forty five <laughs> minutes of uh, uh, driving and then this ambiguous ending? Oh. You know, with that doesn't make any sense. I, I will,
0: I will be honest, about thirty to forty minutes in. I was thinking, like, what is this? I don't know. Where this is going, like I've because I, I watched like you know a trailer for for I was like, well, What's it? The trailer was very much sort of obviously you know, show this, but was the space station. I'm like, and I said, like, I'm 40 minutes in and he's still on Earth, like, and we're still at the cabin. So, where, what's gonna happen? Um, so that I, I would say that first 40 minutes, that first, yeah, 40 45 minutes is a slog, it's really hard to get through. In that, for me, at least, it was because it gives all this information. Which is critical and it's really important, but it's told in such a way that I was like, you know, th- th- there was better ways, or there's more modern. Maybe it's maybe, just me. There were more modern ways. I think this could have been told. When it gets to the space station, though, and you know, um, you start to sort of get to grasp with what is going on, and you're thrown into a different. So it, it takes a bit of a left turn, really. Uh, I was a lot more on board with this film, and you're starting to get into those relationships and. Um, when you meet the character, and I think I honestly think like Snout is my favourite character in this film. Like I really like his sort of like just that offhanded sort of like um, eh, everything you know sh- that shrugging of shoulders through everything of like <laughs> yeah I've seen that mate I've I've been through this like I really liked him I thought he was a really interesting character to sort of like you know um, it I, I got through a lot of that 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 sort of like mid section was was a I'm not gonna say a breeze but it was a lot more interesting. And, it, you know, with the whole thing with Harry and sort of her dynamic of, am I human? What is it to be human? How do I deal with these emotions? How do I deal with these thoughts I'm having? What, what am I? That was really interesting to me. And then that sort of third, that, that finale where he has his little bit of a mental break and stuff. was Again, seems to come out of nowhere. And then the ending, and I was, I was a bit like, oh, I'm back to the beginning. I'm not entirely
1: sure what this is. <laughs> and I know what, right. No, I think that's fair. I, I think all of that I experienced too. I mean, I, I do think that you could cut 20 minutes from that, that earth business. Mm. That's Tarkovsky. I mean, he, he likes that stuff. Um, you could get the essentials in half that time. Um, I do think the ending that last whole business, I love the, the ambiguous ending, but I think that the, the ending, you know, with him getting sick and everything, I mean, I, I want to see how yeah. die. Um, there are some things that, like, even just the travel to the space station is so, yeah. is so lame. Um, you know, I want, and this is why I could kind of see that you would want to remake this. I mean, this movie um, is uh, just lionized. I mean, it is revered. Um, and I think it's revered because of the replicant thing, because of the alien, alien. Uh, you know, there's a lot to revere here. But you can see the limits. I mean, the space station looks like you had an unlimited budget. Yeah. It is amazing. But the rocket, you know, is okay. And the journey to the space station is not good. And well, weirdly, you know, um not showing Hari. There's I mean, so there's much there's, you so, there's, do. there's
0: there's stuff it is. It's there's stuff they've done on screen in Canva which is really good, like you say. The I liked the the first the moment you see the space station you know, the reveal of it as he sort of arrives is really good. It looked great. And they've clearly put a lot of money into a lot of effort into that. That's sh- very short shot. And I think that's very impressive. And then you, you have shots of the actual ocean and they've done some incredibly interesting things with colors and um, they did it with the oil being poured into waters and all this other stuff to get these like really unique alien looking liquid um, shots. And I love that. I thought that was amazing because I was—I was really that sort of thing really fascinates me because I'm like, okay, how are they? I was like, how are they going to have this ocean not just look like they've put a blue filter over a picture of the ocean, you know? And they didn't—they've actually done something <laughs> interesting. So I was like, yeah. oh, that's really cool. So I was really into that. But then you say like key moments to the plot are just sort of like yeah, it happened off screen. That ignore that. Don't worry about it. It happened off screen, and you, I feel a little bit cheated. Um, but then I sort of, I, I knew obviously this came out, was obviously filmed in sort of um, 70, 71, around that sort of early, 70, you know, very early 70s. Russia was in a very interesting place at that point. You know, you had um, I can't pronounce his bloody name, Brevnev um, was the um, Brezhnev, that's Brezhnev. it, was, the, was, the, was, the, was, the, was at the you know, the top <laughs> of the tree. They just, he was actually starting to clamp down on liberal thought and all this other stuff, and so the The film industry was was really just starting to pull back and start go back to that sort of like almost Stalinistic approach. So a lot of the stuff it got away with it was actually is more it's more interesting that it got away with what it got away with than what is missing.
1: So again, it's quite a feat. It's quite an interesting feat, yeah. really. Well, I think that you know like even the fact that Hari's death occurs off screen. I mean, I think that is for me, the more unforgivable thing Mm. because I care about her. I mean, she's the character, despite her not being real quote unquote, I, I love the replicants, right? I mean, I, I, I I hate humans. We (laughs) see this over and over. I'm always on the side of the aliens. I'm always on the side of the, I'm on the side of the terminators in terminator. Okay. I mean, I never side with the humans, but, um, you know so emotionally it hurts that we don't get to see that and but on the other hand that would have been such a melodramatic scene or risk being and this is such a muted movie in which a lot of what you're shown and not shown is interesting so i mean you know i mean they could have done like a weird teleporter thing mm. of like ah oh, oh, disappear you know they could have done something like that but i don't know i mean i find it ultimately it's an artistic choice of what you're shown and not and i can i can i can live with it i, I think it's a respectable choice um I, I don't think that it's just a limitation of the movie but um there are choices that i would make different
0: yeah and i think say you know, some of it's obviously down to budget i think like you say again this comes down to the fact of saying, like, that obviously the director isn't actually that interested in the technology, like he doesn't actually care how she was destroyed, more the fact of like what does that mean for the character. So I can see that you know he's doing that for a reason. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is interesting. Is it a film I'll go back to? Um, possibly I'm again, it's one of those. I think you know, yeah, yeah, I, I need to gain some distance from it at first, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think I'll tell you what, you know, you said about influence and again i think this will speak volumes about my point of reference and yours um when i watched this there were several there were two things that jumped to my mind as as being a sort of um uh the something that was clearly influenced by this and i i did think about Blader and the Replicant, so i'm glad I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that um but to me weirdly i was a, I, I, my my first thought went a little bit to event horizon um a 1990s horror sci-fi film with Sam Neelan, Um in this notion of something going off into space, being incredibly alien, and then us having to understand what it's trying to, trying to tell us or trying to do, and it being so sort of far removed from our point of reference. Granted, in that it's more about a hellscape than you know, like a sci-fi uh, tristy on the human condition, um, and you know. But, we, we may get there one day, right. you know. We may not. Um, but the other one, weirdly, was again after sort of thinking about it, 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 it took my mind to an episode of Red Dwarf, uh, called Back to Reality. And, um,
1: uh, yes, I, I yes. love Red Dwarf. Uh, I don't think we've ever talked about it. I'm but sure I'm, we, I'm... we may Red have to cover it on the amazing. show at
0: some point, but there's an episode of back to uh-huh. reality where they go to again an ocean planet. And uh, granted, they get attacked by the Despair Squid, and they then have to play out this notion of what would happen if they were these other beings, you know, this notion of sort of their sort of sense of reality is broken, like the cat becomes, you know, this stylish sort of narcissistic cat becomes this geeky dweeb, Dwayne Dibley, and, and, you know, Rimmer, who's so proud of his sort of um, crappy, nonetheless militaristic career, becomes a bit of a hobo, and then sort of the, the hobo becomes a corporate bod and so on and so forth, and Crichton becomes a policeman who actually ends up killing someone. Um, but it gives that question of being again and like what it is to be you and all this other stuff, and it sort of just took me to that. That was like, I'm, I'm not, com- you know, I can't believe that um, Grant and Naylor didn't see this film when they were making the episodes of Red Dwarf. Like, there's yeah. clear influences, and that's just the one that's brought to mind. I'm sure there're more, but it's clear that they were very much embedded in this era of sci-fi uh, and it plays out in red dwarf without you even knowing it
1: yeah and and i think that um you know that's how that's how influence works um that you know i i think to every time that i've seen um aliens depicted as uh really alien um they don't have to be a a um ocean or something you know like that but you know you mentioned the mm. rival they look weird their technology is weird um and we can't yes. communicate with them now that's not as alien as this but that whole idea is grounded in solaris and as a science fiction writer i think that you know one of the things that irritates me the most is even if you have your aliens look like humans maybe they're bipeds whatever the idea that they have the same Mm. morality as 20th or 21st century, you know, not just humans, but Westerners, (laughs) right? Like, you know, they're like, we respect (laughs) the individual on this planet, (laughs) you know, know, this is ridiculous. And, you know, it's enough that it's a coincidence that they're approximately the same size as humans and, you know, carbon-based and everything else. Like, do they really have to have, like the same moral concepts. Um, and I and I think Solaris serves for me as a kind of beacon to um, that just demolishes mm. those depictions. Uh, those lazy depictions.
0: No, I agree. And that's what the what if you know if I take anything away from this, the philosophy of the film definitely make me think. I will go back and think over it. And I will in my head I will revisit this film. I know I will. But the one thing is a takeaway, I really salute it for um like you say that ability and the, the braveness of actually saying yeah this isn't about some carbon-based life form on another planet this is actually about something so far removed from our understanding and point of reference that it it couldn't be like literally more alien if it wanted to be it's it's so it's such a refreshing idea uh for me <laughs> so I say it's refreshing I've not seen it before but this comes from sort of like you know 40 plus 50 plus years ago uh, and I think that's fascinating so No, I think you know, it's um, it's a long film. It's a Russian film. Um, you know, there are moments (laughs) when I think um, I wish I'd watched. I no, is it? There were moments where I thought I wish I could watch the English dub, but then I'm glad I'm not. But um, no, I think I think you're right. I think this is incredibly influential, and I am glad that I've seen it now. So,
1: (laughs) well, um. Uh, next time we will have uh, enough of this, uh, hoity toity, uh, Russian intellectual shape, yeah. Shit. yeah. <laughs> yes, um, what we'll, we'll, we have, uh, yes, George so Lucas we are moving
0: on to, from, yeah, from, from really sort of, um, from, yeah, from sort of a real <laughs> intellectual sort of I mean, this, let's just look at how long this pod, this podcast has gone, really. I think how much there is to talk about this, um, to, yeah, to what a lot of people deem as the film that, you know, is the story of their childhood, uh, you know, in a, in a, a galaxy, and lo- in a galaxy long time ago, far, far away, uh, we're going to be talking about Star Wars. Now, should say The Star Wars or Star Wars A New Hope or Episode 6, whatever you want to call it, Episode 4, sorry, Episode four, whatever you want to call it, we're going to be talking about Star Wars, that, that one. Um, and I think it's going to be an interesting conversation because... Well we won't get into it, but Julian, you, you have some interesting views on Star Wars. Um and Yes.
1: And yeah. I've been <laughs> public about them and we'll uh, We will we'll we get definitely into will.
0: it. I think again this will sort of get to our points of reference and um maybe you might change my mind. Um I don't think I'm as I'm not as hung up on the film as some well, but
1: Well I think I think we both always kind of you know, come together. Um, I mean, I think that even the, like, I mean, when we've talked about subjects before um, that I wasn't as keen on, you know, you would bring me, you know, at least <laughs> 50% toward your view. Um, and I hope that uh, maybe that's happened a little on Solaris here. And, you know, that'll probably happen again on Star Wars. Uh, I don't hate Star I mean, it is my childhood, too. I mean, I had the Star Wars blankets growing up.
0: it's gonna be an interesting conversation um but listeners if you want to join the conversation if you want to watch uh go off watch solaris it's available on um several streaming services i watched it on amazon prime uh and so you can find it there are i think actually a lot of it is on youtube as well there's an ink there's a full-length english dub available on youtube i'm not promoting i think i'm not sure it's a, a I'm not sure it's a fully legit copy, but definitely track it down if you want to try it out and uh, watch along with us. Uh, and as Julian said, next episode we, we will be watching uh, Star Wars and talking about that. Uh, and if you want to talk to us, come find us on social media on Twitter in particular. We are at Pod Timespace, and uh, really want to sort of engage with you and see what you've got to say. So Julian, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed. This one actually, this is for a second episode. I think this was a doozy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree, and I'm I'm loving this. I, I if the listeners are having half as much fun as I am watching these movies and getting to talk about them with you, Scott, uh, then uh, this is going to be. Uh, yeah, we've got a some fantastic to ones podcast.
0: coming up in the future. I think there's gonna be some uh, some more highfalutin conversation and some more sort of just basically discussing who shot first. So. Uh, <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll get that to the future. But uh, for now, uh, we'll see you soon. There's
1: something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams.